Welcome everyone to Coaching in Session. My name is Michael Redden and I'll be your mindset coach today. And today we're going to be talking about the mind, balance, everything that associated is with our personal life. And we're going to be bringing on Scott Gazzoli. He's the host of Causing the Effect podcast. And he has a podcast similar to mine where he's helping people think more positive, be more positive, live a more positive and fulfilled life. But how do we get there though? Many people say, well, you read this meditate or you can journal. Is not so simple because if it was that simple, everyone would be following. No one would need a mindset coach. No one would need a life coach. No one would need to listen to a personal developed podcast because they already have everything that they needed. But why are people not moving into a better state of mind? It has to be something to do with us as people or our environment. So before we get into the episode with Scott Gazzoli, I wanted to give you a little bit about him. Again, he's the host of Causing the Effect. He has always had the urge to help others and believes his podcast can transform people, perspective, and limits. Scott lives, works, and podcasts from Brooklyn, New York, and is available for speaking engagements. Scott is a managing director with the Quest organization, a boutique advisory firm that caters to the needs of high net worth individuals and families. Scott prides himself in his ability to create solutions and build relationships with his clients. Scott is also a comedian at night. Now, we don't get into too many jokes during the podcast, but we will offer you a new way of thinking where you're going to be diving into a new thought process that you might have never been before. So let's get into that interview with Scott Gazzoli. Welcome, Scott Gazzoli, to Coaching the Session. How are you doing today? I'm good, brother. Doing great. How are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for coming on. And so you are the creator of Causing the Effect podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you do? Absolutely. So Causing the Effect has become my baby. Um, it is the the main character I play in my story now. So uh, Causing the Effect, the purpose of the podcast is to truly become the most authentic version of yourself. And I do that through a mix of Things that I've kind of picked up along the way, I started off on the classic self-development, personal development side. And then um, as I'm sure your listeners kind of go on, it becomes more than that. It becomes a lifestyle. It becomes a mindset. Um, and I've added spirituality. I've added um, finding that peace. I feel like for, for some of us, particularly on the East Coast, for me, at least it's easy to bang out the goals, set them, hit them, but that finding that peace. And that's why I love what, what Revan was doing um, and you guys are up to with that, finding that peace of mind. That's been my goal. And luckily I've been able to find that. And now it's to just help people. I feel like I'm a vessel with a lot of, a lot of different data that's just here to kind of spread the word. So, mm-hmm. And talking about the East Coast, I'm from Connecticut originally. Cool. And now I live in Texas. And the dynamic of people from the North to the South, drastically different. The people up North are kind. I'm not saying that they're mean or anything, but everyone keeps to themselves. They have their own life. They are worried about their own goals. They're own personal development per se. They're not concerned about what other people are doing. And you can't pry into other people's business. Otherwise it would seem off-putting. Like what, what are you doing? Like I'm having a conversation with this person. I'm not having a conversation with you, but here in Texas, it's a little bit different. If you're having a conversation and someone likes it, they can jump in and you might think like, Oh, great. I got to deal with this person, but it's actually a refreshing type of communication where I was always like, okay, I'm just going to hang out with these people and I'm only with these people. And now in Texas, it's like, you can't walk down the sidewalk without 
saying hi to someone who's close by, right? They can be literally two blocks down. If you see them, get ready to say hello. It's different in New York, Connecticut, that New England type of aspect. Why do you think many people are more like that and not more social? Yeah, man, it's weird, right? And every time there's a there's a friendly person, at least in New York, and I'm from Brooklyn, so it's like anytime somebody's nice, it's like, what, what's the angle here? And mm-hmm. I would say it must be part of the environment that we're in. And this is something I'm so happy that you left because I'm in the process of leaving and we could talk about that, of, of finding different states. Because uh, you know, once I moved, I, I went to Austin for a little bit. Are you in Austin? What part of Texas are you? I moved to North Austin and I just moved up from North Austin now. So I'm very close. I'm like oh, 10 minutes away from North awesome. Austin. And I, I think there, there's something with, I, I've been to Austin now six times and Austin, one of the spots I'm looking at, and I was so blown away. I'm like, wow, people are nice. There's space. There's all this cool stuff. I'm going to Colorado this weekend just to kind of see, check that out. Hawaii, a different thing. Forget it. I want to mm-hmm. move to Hawaii, but, but too far. But the, I think there's something about the mindset. And this is something I've realized so heavily, like how influenced influenced we are by the culture and by the society that we're around. And it must be the the hustle and bustle. Like for me, realizing you sit in a tin can, drive, uh, or at least you know drive in traffic or sit in the tin can to get to Manhattan for an hour, hour and a half. It kind of puts you on this, this defensive thing for me, at least. So that's why I try to spend the, my least amount of time as possible on the train. I realized that really messed up my mind, everybody being on top of each other. And then, you know, New York city being the best ever, whatever, all that stuff that people say, not it's great to get stuff done, but I think you, you, there's a sacrifice in everything. There's a yin and yang, there's a price to be paid. And the price you're paying for, for being at the top or the 1%. And Sinatra says, you know, if I can make it here, I can make it anywhere. You're giving up that piece. And mm. once I started leaving New York, my life became just amazing. So now um, every year I take a kind of shaman trip, I call it. And I go for a month to a brand new place and, you know, just to not be called Scott, not to be expected to be the finance guy in New York or be even the podcast host or be the comedian, like all these different things. You get to become really find out who you are. And I think the more you look inside and you can start really introspecting and get deeper, you start figuring out who you are and what your values are. When I was living in Connecticut, I was looking at buying homes in Connecticut. I'm like, okay, I'm going to live this far from my family. I'm going to work at this place. I wasn't so concerned about well, let me go to California. Let me go to New York. Let me go to Florida. I wasn't worried about other states. I was just in my little bubble where I was safe. I felt safe in Connecticut. My family was there and I grew up there, born there. And I was like, this is the place that I'm just going to be. And though I would go to like Florida and go to Disney World and go to Virginia for a summer, for a week, it wasn't so much of living the lifestyle of that state. It was more so just going for a quick trip and then after coming home. But when I was younger, I really never paid attention to the quality of people. I just said, all right, well, you know, this is where I was born. This is my circumstance. I'm going to just allow this. This is my environment. Mm-hmm. And, I start, and I started to think, I was like, why do many people just stay in their state? They just are born. They stay there for the rest of their lives. Some people never even leave their state their whole entire lives. They stay there because of circumstance, because of comfort, whatever it be. My dog has been to more states than some people, (laughs) which is crazy, where her and I, we would go on road trips, hikes, things like that, and we would just go exploring. But why are people not in that mindset of getting out of their comfort zone, getting out of their state, getting out of that bubble they created or they were put in? I live that life. So if you looked at me about six years ago, um, I built a brand new house in New York. 
I, uh, I got married. I was married at the time. I did everything that my mother told me. And I think when you start looking at where you get a lot of your influence from, from your parents, from the, the people that are most important around you, and they're just regurgitating what they learned from their parents. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we're in this interesting time where, where things have changed, right? Post-COVID, there's no need to, to actually be in Manhattan. Like I think we're watching the end of like the Macropolis cities. And in 50, 60 years, there's no need for, for me to go into the office. There's no need for people to, if you're an accountant, if you're more of a practical person, to be sitting and, and, and being a part of that. So I think as we go, things will move. But why do people like comfort, right? It's the, it's the easier way to go. Um, and and at least for me, the one thing that kept, I think the, the one thing that, that might have kept you in Connecticut for, for so long was your family, right? You end up really being so um, attached and, and want to stay near them. But the, like I, I always look at things, one thing implies the other. What you're giving up by your connection with your family or being close, you're giving up your self experiences and, and seeing these kind of new values. And I've been slowly trying this process of, of, I think in the end, I would like to be in New York a little bit and then take one month and one month or two weeks and two weeks. But I do think in the end, you know, you, you, you have to kind of go on that hero's journey, so to say, mm-hmm. and be able to like, wherever your, your heart takes you, like this year, I'm going, I'm going to Thailand for the month. Got people like, why are you going? I'm like, just something's telling me to go to Thailand. I'm going to do a one week, you know, meditation retreat by myself. Um, in a monastery, gonna not say a word to anybody. It's gonna be t- it's terrifying. But imagine the things that I'm gonna see at the end of that, and who mm-hmm. I'm gonna be. I don't have no idea. It's probably gonna be. I'm probably gonna have a breakdown in the half middle of it. But um, just you know, you have to really listen. If I'm very intuitive. I try to you know, I let try. You have to listen to that gut because I think there's something maybe that we don't see that that there's a reason that you're you're when you go with your gut, you're usually right. Mm. And then I want to talk to you about the meaning of life. Right? There's so many concepts of what is the meaning of life. And I'm not going to give you any help. I want you to kind of Mm -hmm. give your two cents before I give my three cents or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) But, but what is the meaning of life? Because if life is not meant to simply be in one state, right? One little place for your whole entire life. What is it, right? You said you want to go to monasteries, you want to go to Thailand, you want to go be here for two weeks, stay for two weeks, right? Experiencing the world, right? And there's no right or wrong way to live life. But what is the meaning of life for you? Yeah, for me, and um, this is a perfect question. So uh, the last trip I took for the month was in um, last August, and it was um, in Hawaii, beautiful, did Maui for a month. And I said, I'm going to figure out what the meaning of life is. I'm going to figure out my purpose on this because, you know, you get pulled in different directions because there's the Scott, there's the, the, the us that wants to be with the family, there's us that wants to explore and be gone and live and do the. And for me, I realize that there's, I want the meaning of life to me is having this overarching vision for all of us. Call it your, your mission statement. For me, it is to, to end suffering in today's society in the most practical way, doing it the most authenticity driven way. But the more important part is enjoying life for every single experience and being able to truly, truly have a quality of consciousness to be in the moment with everything. So in a way, the, the, the meaning of life is life itself. It's in this moment where we're sharing this journey together. We're having this conversation. And when you start adding these up incrementally, it's kind of laying the pathway. I look at them like they're laying the bricks of my journey to get me to where I want my vision to overlie. So there's more that I look at it like there's the overarching vision I have. Then there's that step-by-step process that I try to keep very close to myself. And I keep my spirituality close to myself. I keep my peace close to myself. And for me, I would say that is it in a short version. Mm -hmm. For me, I had read a quote. And it says, life has no meaning. Life is an opportunity to create meaning. Mm. And when I thought about that, I was like, that's so true. That's so powerful because, yeah, you can be born and live 
no life, right? Many people are just going to work on Monday, right? Waking up on Monday, going to work Monday through Friday, nine to five. Friday, they are so excited. Saturday, Sunday, they turn up. Maybe not Sunday, maybe Sunday they relax, go to church. And then they dread Monday and they do that until they're 65 and then they die. And then they wonder why they're not happy. Many people are not conscious if they're happy or they're uh, fulfilled or if they're doing what they love. They don't pay attention. They simply move along with what society has said. Parents have said, you, you said it earlier. We kind of go with what our parents say, get a job, do this. And then we're like, okay, well, that's life. And we can see that ever so prominent right now, especially after the quarantine, everyone is operating on the bounds of what parents say and what society says. And of course, you have a few outliers, but it's not as much as before. Before it was kind of like, all right, you know, we're going to listen to grandma, listen to grandpa. And now people have their own opinions, right? So that's why we have like our own social media groups now where it's kind of like everyone is in their own little realm, where it's like we have your Twitter people and you have a group of, uh, on Twitter that talk about this and they stick together right there, mm-hmm. little posse. Facebook, same thing. Instagram, same thing. All the social media, right? So social media has made it easier for people to conform into their own groups that they feel comfortable in. Maybe not so much about what the family says. They can say, well, this group makes me feel good. So I'm going to be in this group. Do you think social media plays a positive or negative role in the whole aspect of allowing people to experience life to the fullest? Oh, man, it's a good question. Um, I would say in the totality of life, if you, if people, when, when a hundred years from now, when people look back and they say, you know, 2020, you know, that time, those people were out of control with social media. I, I personally think there's two, there's, a pro of the groups and there's a pros of, of the, the positives that, that we all know, but there's also underlying negatives, this kind of psychology of the comparative state, right? I want to go look and see that the one aspect, that one moment, somebody's happy, but I'm not happy. And well, then what's wrong with me? I do think there's a diluted version of it where we maybe we, in the end, when there's more regulations, maybe we could turn, turn it off for an X amount of time where it'll be shut off at 8 PM, 9 PM. And it's treated more like a a time variant type situation where you can slow it down and say, let me get to, to real life. Cause I do think we're trending a little bit more towards this. Cause if you, if you look in the last hundred years, there's been a, a speed up of the practical sciences of technology. I think that's great. It's making us more efficient, all this other stuff. But at the same point, we are going to need the social sciences and our mind to be, to kind of catch up a little bit. That's why I think you're seeing an influx of philosophy, psychology, wisdom, um, modern kind of new age things to kind of combat this. And what, with all of this being said, we are in the information age. So from 2000, from the year, from the year 2000 till today, 99.4% of information has been created. So everybody before 2000 was getting their information from where? Walter Cronkite on channels on channel five, and you're all able to be in this same reality. And now you're seeing people that all live different realities, whether it be somebody who's terrified of COVID, somebody who doesn't care about COVID, somebody who is in the middle, everybody's able to live in these different worlds. So I think it's going to be important for all of us to to get on the same page with where are we, um, what are we doing, and all that. And at the, but at the same point with social media, I think with all of us in this space, the mind space or you know whatever kind of world, 
it's up to us to kind of lift the vibrations of everybody to make everybody be, be more aware that you don't have to have a nine to five that you're miserable and, and just live and grind and grind and grind and then 65 retire and then enjoy it when you have no energy left. It doesn't make sense to me. And it never did. And I think intuitively people feel that, but they get so impressed. Like there's, there's just so many impressions of people that they see get married by 30, this, that, get, you know, all that stuff. I did that and I was, I was totally miserable. And that was the kind of way I lived my life. I, I was like, let me just listen to my mother. I was a mama's boy. Um, but at some point, you got to go with your gut and your wisdom and just do what you think is right um, intuitively. Mm-hmm. And you talked about many things, right? Balance, philosophy. And before we got on, we talked about the good and bad, yin and yang. For me, when I look at something good, how could I have appreciated that good in my life? I needed the bad too, right? I, I needed a moment where I said, all right, this sucks. Uh, easiest example, you're sick, right? You got a common cold, can't really breathe, you know, breathe through your nose, coughing, maybe sneezing, right? You feel miserable, right? Your food, can't taste it. Uh, you just want to sleep all day and you're cursing this cold and you're like, mm-hmm. I can't wait to be alive again. I can't wait to feel better. And we just wait, right? We wait just like how we do at a stoplight. We wait for the green light. We wait to feel better. But then once we get better, what happens? We don't pay attention to that bad moment, right? We don't appreciate, ah, now I can breathe. And if we do, it's only a momentary thing where we say, all right, I can breathe. Awesome. I'm carrying out of my life, right? We forget those good things and we take things for granted, right? We always think we have tomorrow, right? People think, oh, I'll do it later. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. They think they have time, but it takes sometimes a bad moment for them to realize, wait, maybe I should be paying attention. But then they get to that bad moment, the bad moment kind of phases out, and then they're back to their same patterns again. They're not living in the moment. They're not being present. How can people start to get into a mindset of being more present after they experience something bad? Or if they didn't have that trauma or that challenge quite yet, how can they pay attention to this moment right now rather than waiting for something bad to happen and then they pay attention? It's a great question again, man. Crushing it. Now there's a couple a couple ways to go about this. For me, I'll go through my experience. It was it, it was fu- understanding the way the mind works. So just by you know, I would say you can't run d- head deep into a spiritual guru into a, a Tony Robbins. Like you have to do your own diligence. And that's why I suggest everybody don't listen to to one person. Have different view mindsets and different levels of readings. For me, it was science. It was understanding. Um, And this is kind of why I like what I do because I I base everything in science. So understanding that the mind is geared for survival only. Like we are built to be more negative. That is just the way we are. Some of us are built extra negative. I'm a a naturally very negative guy. So even understanding that little shift, I know when the bad thing comes, I'm always going to be kind of geared towards that or focus more because we don't want to get eaten by the tiger. That's the way we were built millions of years ago. Now with with some of the techniques we could use today, whether it be journaling, introspection, for me, it's meditation and I'm not a person who pushes meditation. You have to find that journey in your morning. The second you wake up, just kind of gear your mind. So the one thing I'll tell people to do is do not go on your phone the second you wake up. Stay off that phone for one hour. Make that your rule. For me, I do about an hour to an hour and a half mental work every morning. That starts with breath work. It starts with just getting getting myself at a, at, a, at a place of balance where I'm truly aware. And people like call it introspection. Um, people love journaling. I'm not a journaler. One day a week, I sit and I just kind of think about what I've done every, every night, right? And I'll be able to say, 
mm, well, just, just really grade yourself. I'm like, are you acting in the moment? And sometimes when things are going good, everybody can do these things. But for me, when things get bad, I end up going off a little bit. Maybe you eat, have a bad meal, you know, yet, now you're, then you're thinking negatively. Um, practicing gratitude is something I think we could all, all say is, is positive with, with things like gratitude, forgiveness. These are emotions that they're, when you feel them, there's no way to feel anxiety. There's no way to feel anger. There's no way to feel any of those negative emotions. So practicing gratitude every morning has been another key development um, in my life. And understanding that life is impermanent, that that's a you know a Buddhist philosophy. Um, understanding that everything is impermanence, whether it be your relationship, your body, um, your job, understanding that and not having anxiety about it. Just saying, okay, there's either I'm either on the wave, the wave is either coming or the wave just ended. That is what life is in a nutshell. Um, have you ever heard of the the parable of the Chinese farmer with his son going off and then he rides a horse, he breaks his arm or something? Exactly. Like, yep. <laughs> exactly. That, that great one. And, and to, to sum it up, everybody, the, the whole point of it is once upon a time, there was a Chinese farmer, his horse ran away, his, his um, neighbors say to him, we're so, so sorry to hear that. This is so unfortunate. The farmer says, maybe. The next day, the horses come back, bringing seven wild horses with it. And then the evening, everybody comes back and said, wow, you're so lucky. The, the guy says, maybe. And it keeps going on. Um, and it's just the point of showing, you know, you, don't, you can't tell in the present moment what each situation in your life will present or it, what the meaning of that is until years later. So even like through my divorce, it was, I thought at that moment, that was the worst possible thing that ever happened to me. It actually was the greatest thing I've ever learned because that's what turned me into a man. I know mm-hmm. we say when you turn 18, you're a man. No, that's what the law says. We all will become men or women or adults at different ages. And sometimes it just takes a traumatic event. Sometimes it takes to get your, your ass kicked a little bit. Um, for me, I had to make mistakes. And usually that's how people really um, you know, wake up on it. So I, I really take that, um, the saying, this too shall pass very seriously. So when things are going really well, this too shall pass because you know the, the bad's right there. But when something bad happens too, this too shall pass. So it's just you know, running, being able to balance these two feelings of, of the positives and, and the negatives and, and um, really just embracing both sides. When I was in college, I actually did a lot of studying of Zen stories. And I would, every morning I would just read a new Zen story, sometimes the same stories. I know many Zen stories actually. And nice. so powerful those stories because they tell you something, but the meaning is going to be profound to you. Meaning you have to find the meaning in it. And there's so many, I'm, I'm not going to get into it, Otherwise this will be an hour long podcast <laughs> talking about all the different types of Zen stories. But one thing that I've learned to say to myself, are you paying attention? That's it. Just, are you paying attention? If something good is happening in my life, my kid is born. Are you paying attention? If I have a death in my family, are you paying attention? Hmm. The good, the bad, are you paying attention? Because if you're not, you're just going to be doomed to living in the rat race or just living the same cycle over and over. You're not paying attention. And we can look back at the golden years, right? If you're older, if you're 65 or in your 50s, maybe even you look back or when you're young, you say, oh, I was young and I was able to do this and that. And you reminisce on those good times, but those good times don't have to just be for when you're 30, when you're 40, they could be when you're 50. Right. Look at people who are successful. What uh, Colonel Sanders, he created KFC when he was 65. Yep. yep. So, or 63, and then 65, it came out. So, that is an example of age has no bounds. Age is just a number that we give ourselves in, in time. Right. But I can be 65 and I can still look like I'm 40. 
And it's because how I take care of myself, the state of my mind. And people don't pay attention that if my mind is negative, I'm going to be stressed out. I'm going to be worried. And you're going to look that part too, right? You can find someone who's 24 and they look like they're 40. And it's just because they have all that negativity, all that stress, and they don't know how to deal with it, right? So I want to talk to you. How can someone deal with stress where, where it could be meditation? I know, you do, I know you do meditation, but stress is going to be unique, I think, where everyone's going to approach it differently. Sometimes people might say, I'm going to come home and sit on the sofa, right? That's how they deal with stress. Sometimes they're going to say, I eat some ice cream. What would be some ways that you would advise people to become less stressful or stress-free? Sure. And I think the part of the answer is when what you're saying, paying attention, right? So mm-hmm. if you start paying attention to your life and let's say you do it through, we'll get to the, the techniques. Let's say, let's say you're paying attention. You could become aware of what makes you feel good and what doesn't. So, but I'm saying what really makes you feel good. I'm not talking about the women. I'm not talking about the money. I'm not talking about the power. I'm talking about what really makes you feel good. I started looking at this and I said, what makes me feel good? I really, I did a mix of, for, for about two years, I said, I was really paying attention to this. Like, what, where is the highest value for me? And if everybody's just going to be different for me, it was connection with others, connection with people, truly helping others. There's nothing better then when I get an email from somebody, like last week in the gym, somebody came up to me and says, are you Scott from Causing the Effect? Your podcast? I can't tell you that lit me up for two, three days. Yeah. That is what my value is. That I can't, I could do this all day. After I'm done with you, I'm going to run around the block. I'm going to run. I'm all, I'm all jacked up to be here. It's, it's exciting to me. That is my highest value. If you start incorporating those things more and then you start paying attention, what really is making me miserable? Is it my boss? Is it my girlfriend? Is it my family? Whatever these things are, everybody's will be different. If you remove the things that are stressing you and add the things that make you happy, that will seamlessly make you a little bit calmer. Now, another piece of this is, you know, Scott, I have a job. Come on. My boss tortures me. My boss tortures me every day. I have a president. He's jerk, whatever. Um, I had to have a conversation about it. And But understanding that, like, I was always nervous to get fired. I had anxiety about all this stuff. Being able to, to have, like, an open conversation with people, like, listen, this thing you do, it bothers me. You know, you're a little controlling this and that. And, and the feedback you, you, you get from people, you, it's never as bad as you think. It's, it's wonderful. We've been great ever since. So that is how you do it. Now, the question is, what are the techniques we could do to get there? I would say sitting on the sofa, I, like the way I do it is the mix of in, I really tried to be as productive as I could till about one, two, three o'clock in the afternoon. From, I'm up 4 a.m. I do my meditation. I do all my stuff. You have to pick up time to have your mental break. So whether it be 7 p.m., 6 p.m., 8 p.m., and then you can sit on your sofa. I love Marvel just came out, some movies. I'm going to be sitting. I'm going to be binging some Marvel stuff. I, I, you need to have that, that kind of reset. But there's a difference if, if you're not actually resting and being like having rest, not just going to bed, but like having peace of mind. That's how these gurus and these spiritual guys could sleep four or five hours because they they understand that there's not a lot of stress in your life. So the techniques that I that I use are the the mix of the mind and the body. So for the mind, I think people need to figure out these things that work for them, whether it be manifesting, whether it be um, you know you want to set, set an intent for your day and just be able to really really think about it. Like how what does the perfect day look like for me? How is that going to go? And in some way, you're kind of putting that out in the world. And then your reticular activating system will be able to catch that instead of waking up, going to your phone and starting text messages and work and, and torturing yourself. Um, journaling has been a big one for, for people that, that, that uh, 
that listen to my podcast. I, I've tried it. It just doesn't work for me. So whatever it is that you could figure out in your mind, do that for a consistent amount of day. It doesn't have to be an hour like me. I'm crazy. 20, 30 minutes. On the, on the flip side, you need to get moving a little bit. You have to have something a little bit fitness related, let's say. Doesn't have to be um, a gym. For me, I'm a big you know power lifter, all that stuff. I need to be in the gym for two hours a day. Maybe it's a walk around the block. Maybe it's just, you know, you do, maybe you do your mind, you do your mind work and then you move to, uh, I like to take a three mile walk by the water. That sounds, that gets me in a nice calm mood. And if you start adding this to your day and making consistent, as important as your job is, your life will brighten up significantly. And I would say you start there. And then as you go through your path, other things will pop up. You have to take the Nietzschean approach. You know, Frederick Nietzsche, one of the greatest philosophers, he had the, the, the kind of yes approach. So you have to say yes to everything, even things that are going to be uncomfortable. And you have to be okay with feeling uncomfortable. For me, it was doing yoga. I felt so weird being in a group of women and I can't stretch and I can't, I can't move my hammies. I can't do it down. It was such a weird thing. And now yoga has been implemented every night, 6 p.m. right before I do my whole little get to the couch. And it's beautiful. So you have to be willing to be the fool, to become the wise king. And this is like an ancient parable. It's a, it's a deep archetypical thing in us. And it's something that I always, anytime things got hard in my life, I kind of withered away or I, I ran away from it. You have to run right at that. And, and if, if it's worth it, there's usually a lesson to be learned in that pain or in that uncomfortability that will bring you out the other side even better. Mm-hmm. You said so many great points there. So, <laughs> so, so if anyone wants to rewind that, listen to that a few times, that's, that that's a lot of good stuff there. I'm gonna do my best to break that down. There's just so much. Yeah, please. There. <laughs> we started off thinking, what do we want in life? Right. And one of the questions I encourage people to ask themselves when they're getting ready to go on a mindset journey to change their mindset, ask yourself, what do you want and what you don't want? What will you mm-hmm. accept and what you won't accept? Right. And now once you have that list and it doesn't have to be a physical list, it could be a mental list where you say, I'm not going to allow this in my life. That goes across the board. It goes for yourself and the relationships you have. For example, if someone is being negative, maybe they're talking bad about someone, they're being derogative, they're saying, I hate this type of people, and they're being cruel, right? You don't want that in your life where you say, I don't like that. I don't want that for myself. I don't want that around me. So that person is going to be moved out from your realm of, uh, of living space. And it goes into the idea of building bridges, right? So you and I are building a bridge together right now, right? We connected and now we are on this bridge and this bridge can be used for bringing supplies. It could be used for meeting people eat more easily, right? So now we have, we, we have a bond, right? We have a path together. However, the idea of people building bridges with other people, they're so tethered to that relationship where they don't want to get rid of the bridge because they might say, well, what if I need it? Right. And then they think about the what if aspect rather than what they will allow in their life. So I'm going to play the bad guy. So you're not the bad guy. Let's mm-hmm. say I'm being cruel. I'm going on Twitter saying, I hate all these people, a lot hate speech. Right you might say, I'm going to disassociate myself with Michael, right? That's fine, right? You are taking your stake in that bridge and you're just burning down the bridge. You're like, I don't need this relationship because it's not serving me anymore, right? And many people hold on to relationships that don't serve them. Think of high school, right? You go to high school 
and you have all these high school friends and you, you know, after your senior yearbooks, call, stay in touch, let's do this. But the relationships gradually fade and deteriorate away. And then you kind of move on with life, right? So that was a momentary thing. Sometimes you get a relationship that is going to be a long-term relationship, like a coworker. And you might be in a company 15, 20 years with this person. And you might be unwilling to get rid of this relationship because it's going to make the workplace kind of weird. If it's a boss, of course, you might say, I need this job. And you don't really want to say, okay, F you, Mr. Boss, because then you have no job, right? And you were thinking about how can we survive? You have to get over that. You have to get over, well, they're the boss. I can't say anything. I don't have a say, right? I'm just going to do my best to bite my tongue. And then you keep that negative relationship in your life. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be your wife. It could be your husband. If that relationship is no longer serving you, you have to say, I'm going to burn this bridge down. And it's for your own betterment too, because if we are going to keep negative relationships in our life, guess what happens? We become negative, we become stressed out, and then we become unwilling to get up. There's a study of two dogs and one dog would be in a room with no electric floor. And then there's one with an electric floor. And so both dogs would play and eat. And eventually the dog that was on the electric floor gave up life, just gave up living because they would get shocked every, every so often. The dog didn't want to play. The dog didn't want to eat. The dog said, what's the point? Because I'm just going to get, keep getting shocked all my life. But what's interesting is that they took the dog away from that environment, that room that they didn't get shocked anymore. The dog still acted accordingly. What's the point, right? And we sometimes get to that point. We are burned out. We are fatigued. We're stressed. And we are not willing to get up anymore. We have been knocked down over and over again. We've been shocked over and over again. We have failed over and over again. How can people get over that failure and say, I want to try one more time. And that one more time is just always, it's just, I'm going to keep on trying mm -hmm. regardless that resilient type of mindset, right? Because then if we become resilient, guess what happens? Nothing can really get in our way besides us, right? We are our own worst enemy in a sense. So how can people fortify their mind to be resilient to themselves and to society? You said a lot of good things in that one, man. So, so kudos. That, I, yeah, that, that now this was like that gave me goosebumps because that was something I really had an issue dealing with. I wanted to be loved by everybody. And, and again, it comes down to this deep uh, evolutionary thing inside of us that was, you know, uh, millions of years ago, there was 300 of us. So everybody had to like you because if one didn't like you, they would kill you. So just understanding that for me it was like, oh, not everybody has to like me. And then learning to speak up, but, but to the to that resilient mind and like people who are listening to this going, I'm just not that person. Well, I was not that person. And I think when, when you have that setback, it's a question of keep going forward or going to go back. And in that moment, that is where the game, that's the, that's the game of life right there. Are you going to keep going or are you going to not? Now, to, when, before you get to that point, I would say it's a lot of fake it till you make it, right? For me, um, I had debilitating stage fright until I was 30. And I said, I've ran away from speeches. I've ran away from being a best man. I was deterring me in my business. Let me get over this. And 
you know, now I can tell you I have 150 comedy shows underneath my belt in New York City. It is not an easy place to do this. A couple of those first times I was faking it. And people think I'm just going to do something. I'm going to take action when I believe it. But you're not going to believe it until you do it. So that is the conundrum people have. And that's what they're stuck in. So it's fake it till you make it for the first couple of times. And then once you actually step through that fear, you step through that power, that will get that is where that true belief will come in. And then you could start moving forward. And that will build your resilience and say, and then you can look back and go, wow, I can't believe I did that. Like I still I still wake up every day. I'm like, I can't believe I got 150 shows on the like who how did that happen? Because that was such a debilitating fear for me. But that is the dragon in the lair. And it's either you run away from your dragon. Or you're going to run right at it. And I'm going to take that gold. So that's the way I try to live. And now I have a new thing I do. Anytime I feel uncomfortable, let's say you want to go talk to a beautiful woman, right? That was always something I was, that's, that's scary for guys. One, two, three, go. Just count one, two, make your move. When you start doing that, like I always thought you get this girl who's going to be rude to you. Who's going to really, they're all great. They've been, it's been one. It's never as bad as you make it. Any Mm -hmm. situation, any fear. And it really is that simple of just stepping through it. And you just have to keep consistent with it. Because the second you start losing momentum, you're going to revert back to that old self. Because we are conditioned 25, 30 years, however old we are, right? I'm 32. So 32 years of conditioning to kind of be hampered. So you can't let your guard down. Mm-hmm. The brain is going to be the biggest obstacle we have to overcome. Sure. We have five seconds. That's all we get. We get five seconds to make a choice. If we don't make a choice in five seconds, then our brain is going to come in and it's going to tell us all the bad things that could possibly happen and we shouldn't do it. Right. So, oh, um, say there's a beautiful girl that we want to talk to. If we wait more than five seconds, guess what happens? So, oh, she's not going to like us. She's with her friends. We're making excuses to not talk to her. But if we did a three, two, one or one, two, three, we don't give our brain the the time it needs to finally say, okay, well, this is a scary situation. We just do it. And that's the art of confidence, right? Confidence is the action first. And then the feeling of confidence comes later. Confidence is not, well, I wish I can be confident like Scott, or I wish I could be confident like Michael. That took time. I had to be unconfident or not confident initially. So I could be confident. And then it switches, then you have to play with your ego a little bit too, because how do we make sure that we're not becoming arrogant with that confidence? And sometimes you get those guys or girls, I'm confident, you know, I'm so good. I'm this, I'm that, right? So they have a higher elevated sense of worth where they might think that they're better than someone else. Maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing, right? But for me, it's everyone here, we're all people, right? I can be cordial. I can have a conversation with anyone on any spectrum and I'll be fine. But I had to be confident in my abilities to do so versus, okay, well, what if they don't like me, right? That's me saying, I'm not confident who I am, right? I'm worried about if they like me, if they don't like me, that's their problem. We have to start to get into the mindset of how can I be the creator of a better tomorrow versus well, let me wait and see what the world gives me and I'll make the best out of it. Many people just wait for someone to come save them, wait for the right time. Maybe the girl will come up and talk to me so I don't have to go talk to her. You miss out on those opportunities. And the more opportunities that you don't take, you're going to realize it's going to form regret later. I regret I didn't do this when I was younger. I regret I stopped doing this. 
And the idea of stopping, once you stop something, if you're running, for example, and you stop, it's more difficult to get back. And it's because, and it's not so much about fatigue. It's about your brain sending you signals. Well, running is hard. My, you know, the heart's going, blood is rushing. This is uncomfortable. And the brain associates, I can stop and nothing happens to me. So the brain is going to stop. You're going to start running again. And then hundred feet, you stop again and you keep on stopping, but there's going to be a sweet spot where your brain is telling you to stop, 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 stop. And if you can ignore that, you're going to find a true power in yourself that not many people have found. It's easy to do it with running. I'm sure there's other ways to do it, but for me, I always have people get to that point with running some type of cardio because it's just the easiest for you to understand. My heart is is racing. My brain is telling me to stop. This is not safe for me. But if we can get past that, it's like bliss almost because then you get into that runner's high, right? It's called a runner's high, but it could be called any type of thing you want. You want to call it mindfulness. You can call it that too, where you're in a full state of, I'm going to be okay. Yep. I'm I'm where I am. I'm good, right? Yeah, I know I had a little difficulty with that run in the beginning because the brain is telling you to stop. The brain wants to be your enemy, but we have to learn to make it an ally, right? How can we have our brain help us rather than go against us? And if we know the little tricks like the three-second rule or less than five seconds, then we can say, all right, we're not going to let that brain get in the way. So understanding your worth, your value, and then the tips and tricks that can get around your mindset in your brain. So I wanted to get a few last words from you. And then of course, please tell people where they can find you. Dude, absolutely. And everything you just said, I'm just, I'm loving because it's, it's the yin and yang, right? We're talking about the only way to have the bliss through the running, you could call it, you know, when wake, like me, I used to be the kid that woke up 2.30 PM every day. I was just never asleep. Now I'm a 4 AM. And it's like the exact same feeling because that first battle of my day is the alarm clock. I'll win that every day. And I never was able to do it. Couldn't believe it. People who do long endurance hiking, right? Those guys who are up and going up the, the, the Himalayas and all that stuff. Why? Because they say it's about the suffering through that and then going up to the top of the mountain. It's not about really the top. It's about the journey the whole way. And there's so much to be said there. But to leave it at this, understand that the whole process of nature is an integrated process of immense complexity. And it's impossible to tell whether anything that happens in your life is good or bad at this moment. It's impossible because you never know what will be the consequence of your misfortune or what will be the, the prize of the misfortune or even the, the good thing that you think at that moment. You'll never know the, the consequences of that, of that good fortune. So let everything flow through you. Do not let your emotions control you because we all have the power to, to let those kind of flow by. And I'll we'll leave it at that and just check out Causing the Effect podcast. Type that in find me. You can always feel free to reach out. Everything I do is free. Um, I really feel um, that my vision and, and my purpose is to, to help people through, through their suffering in any way, shape, and form. Some people are focused on the mind. Some people are focused on the body. What I'm seeing, that's the best part of what we do at Causing the Effect because I love having the fitness gurus go, wow, a little mindfulness really helps. Yeah. Bet, bet your ass it does. And then the mindfulness people go, wow, a little bit of fitness. Yeah. We all need it. It's all connected in some way. Thank you so much, Michael, because it's really been a pleasure. And I love uh, I love that the bridge we created today. Thank you so much, Scott Gazzoli, for coming on Coaching in Session. So much words of wisdom. And of course, you know, everyone check out Causing the Effect podcast or you're going to find so many nuggets of wisdom and you're going to find an abundance and just listening to what he has to say. All right. Thank you so much for coming on again. Cheers. 
All right, everyone, thank you so much for watching the interview with my guest, Scott Gazzoli. If you have any questions, of course, you can reach out to him. His descriptions are going to be in the box below. And as always, we want to make sure that we are sharing this episode, this podcast with other people who can benefit from the words of wisdom, not only from myself, but from my guests too. Because as you can see, Scott has so much wisdom and it's not so much, oh, he read a bunch of books or he meditated for a bunch of hours. He went through something in his life and it was a wake up call for him. Sometimes we need that wake up call, but sometimes we can look at someone else's life and we can say, I don't want to do the same mistake. I don't want that mistake in my life. How can I avoid it? And it's not so much a mistake, but more so a learning lesson. So we learn from lessons from other people. That's called wisdom. And then we have the philosophy of the lesson that we learned. So we can pay attention a little bit more deeper. And when we dive in to trying to get to that better state of mind, then we can start to see what life truly is for us. Because like I said in the podcast, life doesn't really have meaning. But in life, you can create meaning. Many people choose not to create that meaning. And you have to ask yourself, what are you going to do that's meaningful today in your life? And if you don't know that answer, then you have to start to get to work. You have to start to get to a place where you're saying, hmm, I want to make a change. How do I do it? And then you might get a coach. You might listen to more personal developments. You might get books all with the idea of how can I get my life to where I want it to be? Because living a nine to five doesn't have to be your reality for the rest of your life. You can have so much more, but you have to choose to get it. My name is Michael Reardon. I'm a mindset coach. If you have any questions, you can email me coachingandsession at gmail.com. I will see everyone on the next episode of Coaching and Session. Until then, everyone, take care.